This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. So we're in the... Sure, absolutely. Look, I get you guys started and you just can't stop. My goodness. We're in this series called Follow, and we're exploring the reality that Jesus invites everyone, everyone, to do this one thing. He invites rich people and poor people to do this thing. He invites young people and old people to do it. He invites, he invites people across racial and ethnic lines to do this one thing. He invites people who you and I would think, well, of course, they're invited. They're always sitting in the front row. Emma Webb. And he invites, no, I'm not even going to call you out because that's where I sit and my wife's back there and I'll get in trouble. But he invites people who we would think, well, they would never get invited. How did they get in? And the thing that we recognized on week one is he is not inviting us into what we call the cosmic game of Jesus says, where we look at the Bible and Jesus says, do this, but don't do that, or say this, but don't say that, or go here, but don't go there. But a lot of us were raised in the church, and that is our perception of what God invites us into to do what God says to do and to say what God says to say. And if we're really good to start thinking what God says to think. But the problem with Jesus says is it's a lose-lose game. If you're really good at Jesus says, and you're one of the last ones standing, then we begin to get judgmental about those people who aren't standing up anymore. We think, why can't they play the game as well as I play the game? And if we're not so good at Jesus says, and we find ourselves sitting down early in the game, we start thinking, how come I'm not good enough to follow? How come I'm not as as good as those people are, and no one ever wins. And that's because Jesus did not invite us into a cosmic game of Jesus says. The thing that he invited all of us to do is to come and follow him, to start a journey with him and to walk with him. And and Jesus talks about God in this beautiful picture that God is like a perfect heavenly father who wants wants to invite us into a journey, who wants to partner with us as we walk with him. And last week, we talked about the reality that if we say yes to following him, we find ourselves in different phases on this journey. And each of us has a next step to take. Regardless of where we are, we've all got a next new step. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about one of the greatest invitations that Jesus gives to those of us who follow him. And it's not what you would think. It's not um, that you'll be a better person. Although, if you follow Jesus, you actually probably will be a better person. You'll probably become more kind and more generous and quicker to forgive. Uh, It's not that if you follow him, he invites you to have a pain-free life. There are whole movements that would say following Jesus means that you don't ever experience tragedy or pain. And if you are experiencing tragedy and pain, then you're clearly not following Jesus closely enough. But that's just not true. I'm certain of one thing in this world, and that is that uncertainty comes to all of us. So what's the thing that Jesus offers to us? I'll tell you this. The thing that Jesus offers is a solution to a problem that robs you and I of more of our time and our thoughts and our energies than almost anything else in the world. If you ever find yourself with your housemates or with your spouse or with your kids and you're physically present with them, but they complain that you're a million miles away, this thing we're going to talk about today is probably the culprit. 
If you find yourself waking up at 3 a.m. unable to go back to sleep because your mind is racing towards a million things that you cannot do anything about, this thing is probably the culprit. And Jesus offers us a solution to this problem that is quite honestly stealing our lives. And the thing is this. He says, if you follow me, you don't have to live with fear anymore. You can actually be fearless, or at the very least, you can learn how to fear less. So what I want to do today is I want to jump into a conversation that Jesus has with some of his closest friends. They're outside. There's birds flying around. The wild flowers are blooming. And Jesus invites them into a story. But before we get there, I want us to be asking this question this morning. The question is this, what is fear? What is it gaining me? What is fear costing me? Because there is plenty to be afraid of in this world. And there is plenty to worry about in this world. And the thing about fear and worry is they're, they're kind of like kissing cousins. Like they go together. I don't even know where that phrase comes from. Probably inappropriate. So if that just really upsets you that I would say that, please email me at justin at newlifepetaluma.org. I would love to hear from you. But they are. They're cousins. Where fear is, worry is right behind it. And when we find ourselves worrying, it's because fear is somewhere down here. And there's plenty to be afraid of. If you don't believe me, just click on your news feed. You can't click on it without finding some reason to be afraid. Or turn on the news. I read this interesting statistic that said between 1990 and 1998, the national murder rate declined by 20%. In that same stretch of time, the number of murder stories on network news went up by 600%. Why? Because media gets ratings based on fear. And there's plenty, plenty to be afraid of. There, there are actual things to be worried about, and then there are perceived things, things that could happen to be worried about. And the question becomes, what are we gaining by being afraid? Because we must assume there's a payoff. If we're going to do it, then somewhere down here, somewhere that we don't talk about or don't really think about very often, we think there's a good reason for it. Otherwise, we would not do it. And what is it costing us? And right up front, I want to talk about the difference between fear and caution. Because if you are a, it's kind of like a pessimistic person saying, I'm just a realist, right? Okay, there is realism and there is pessimism. At the same way, there is, there is caution and then there's worry or fear. And there's a difference, but they're kind of close. So I want to talk about the difference between the two. Caution is simply the wise choices that you and I make that lead to reasonable safety. Caution is put on your seatbelt when you go driving. Caution is look both ways before you cross the street. Caution is don't get in a car with a stranger. Caution is save some money for the unexpected things in life that will ultimately come and they will cost you so you don't have to go into debt. That's caution. That's, that is reasonable, reasonable safety based on wise choices. Worry, on the other hand, is the disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate level of fear. Worry is that thing that makes us 
not be able to focus on anything else until our daughter's home from her date. You have no idea what TV show you watched or what he was saying to you because all you can focus on is that she's out or he's out. Worry is that thing that has you sure you're going to get fired at any moment, even though you just got a glowing review at work. Worry is that thing that has us sure that our landlord's going to boot us out at any moment, even though we've been living there for 20 years with great landlords. Worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate level of fear. Worry or is that thing that has you and I running scenarios at 3 a.m., laying in bed, when we can't do anything about it. We find ourselves tossing and turning, getting up and writing emails. That is worry. Why are we drawn to worry? Well, I think we're drawn to worry because somewhere down here, we have a story that tells us that if I worry enough, I can prevent things from happening. If I just worry about it enough, if I just focus on it enough, if I'm just scared enough, then ultimately I can keep it from happening. And the problem with this superstition is that when things happen that are bad, if we worry about it, we think to ourselves, oh, shoot, I didn't worry enough. And when things don't end up happening which is like 95% of the time, we think to ourselves, thank goodness I worried. Otherwise, think what could have happened. But the truth is, there are certain things in life that it does not matter how much or how little we worry about them, we cannot control them. Worrying gives us the illusion of control without any actual control. You can still get cancer even if you worry about it every day. Car accidents still happen, even if we're totally consumed with worry. Tragedy strikes, layoffs happen, and worrying doesn't actually fix it. But here's what worry does. Worry steals from today because I'm concerned with tomorrow. And Jesus says that worry is stealing our days from us. And we're missing out on the moments that we really treasure the most. Worry is that thing that will have you in the kitchen all day on Thanksgiving, making sure that everything goes just right and missing the family and friends around you. Because let's be honest, if you pull out your turkey after thawing it and it's still frozen, that just makes a great story. That's a great story. In fact, that happened in our family our first Thanksgiving. I remember we invited my family to come and visit from Southern California, and Maria, you know, we've been married for two months at that point. She really wanted everything to go good, so we got this huge turkey, and we pulled it out like five days early to start thawing it, making sure it would be good. Thanksgiving morning, we pull it out, we go to open it. It is frozen solid. And the question becomes, do we call the parents and tell them that we don't know what to do, or do we just fake it? What do you think we did? You fake it till you make it. That's exactly what you do. It's exactly what you do. You run that bad boy under hot water for about an hour, and it thaws out. So so Jesus steps on the scene, and he invites a group of people to follow him. And they're walking with Jesus one day, and they get up on this hill, and they look out over the hills, and they see birds flying in the distance. And they look down, and I picture a spring day, and there are wildflowers that are covering and blanketing the hills. 
And Jesus engages with his followers and says, I want to offer you something better than worry. In fact, I'm going to tell you that you don't have to worry. And if you've read the story of Jesus, my guess is you wrote it off as religious, you know, jargon. Nope, doesn't work in the real world. Sounds great, pastor. Not going to do it. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to give all of your disclaimers as we read this. And then we'll see what Jesus has to say about it. The story starts like this. Jesus says to his followers as they're standing out on this beautiful hillside, let me tell you something. You don't need to worry about your life. To which we would have responded, yes, I do. If I don't worry about my life, who will? Someone's got to worry about it. Jesus goes on. You don't need to worry about what you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear. To which you and I would be thinking, well, someone's got to make a grocery list. Someone's got to go shopping. Someone's got to cook dinner. What do you mean I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat or drink? The kids have holes in their clothes. Some of you are thinking, if I didn't worry about what my husband wears, he'd still be wearing hammer pants. This <laughs> is wrong. Someone must worry about what he wears. And then Jesus looks at his followers, who have all the same disclaimers that you do. And he says, isn't your life more than food? We think about it. Well, yeah, I guess there's more to me than the food I eat. Isn't your body more than clothes? I guess so. Look at the styles from the 80s to today. Clearly, I'm more than the clothes I wear. And then Jesus, standing on this hill, looks out, and he says, look at the birds. And we have to picture this because we're in a closed-off building. But just imagine birds flying by. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet you're—and here's that phrase that Jesus always came back to, your heavenly Father, that God is like a perfect, loving, caring Father. Your heavenly Father, he feeds them. And you are much more valuable than birds are. Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? That's a great question, to which we would answer, no. Worrying is actually robbing me of hours in my life, and ultimately, worrying could shorten my life. And why do you worry about your clothes? And then Jesus looks over at the fields and says, look at the flowers. They don't labor, they don't spin, and yet... I tell you the truth, not even Solomon, who was this extremely wealthy king in the Old Testament of the Bible, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is gone, how much more will he clothe you? And then Jesus asks them a question, why do you have little faith? And remember last week we talked about faith as simply being trusting enough to try. He says, why don't you just trust me? enough to try not worrying. So Jesus starts with the bare necessities and the simple bare necessities. Clothing, food. He says, forget about your worries and your strife. Let me prove to you why you don't have to worry. Jesus says, birds, birds. The things you shoo away when you're trying to have a picnic at the beach, birds. God feeds them. God cares for them. And you are more valuable to God than they are. Grass. 
That thing that we toil to cut on Saturday when we really want to be at the beach shooing away birds. Grass. God cares for the grass. And you are more valuable to God than grass is. So why are you worried? Why are you worried? See, God has more resources than you and I could ever imagine. When you and I worry, what we do is we often focus on what we can control. And here's the reality. We can control very little. There are certain things we can control. We try to control our spouse. Never goes well. We try to control our kids. Only works until they're about, you know, three months old. Um, We try to control work. We try to control all sorts of things. But in the grand scheme of things, we have very little control because we have very few resources in relationship to God. And so Jesus would say, understanding God's unlimited resources allows you and I to be cautious without crossing the line into worry. And if you're a thinking person, and I know that you are, here's what you're thinking right now. But what about when God doesn't, and you can fill in the blank, what about when God doesn't provide? What about when God doesn't heal and do a miracle? What about when God doesn't protect my child? That's a great question. And Jesus is going to speak to it in a few minutes. So hold that for a minute. Because he goes on. So don't worry, Jesus says in verse 31, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what are we going to wear? For the pagans, and that word pagan is simply anyone who does not believe in the God that Jesus is talking about. It's a big, broad group. The pagans run after such things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What Jesus is saying here is, if there is no God, then you should be very worried. Because if there is no God, if there's no God with unlimited resources who sees you and knows you and loves you and is watching out for you, then you're on your own. And you've got one shot at life. And when that one shot is over, you do not pass go. You do not collect $200. That is it. So you better worry about this life because no one else is going to do it for you. But Jesus offers a different option. He invites us to know God who's like a heavenly father who actually sees you right here and knows you and knows everything you need in every eventuality of life. There's so many things in this world that we cannot control. And if there is no God, then worry becomes one of the only things we can control. We can't ultimately protect. We can't ultimately save. But you know what we can do? We can worry. And we can do it really well. And if there is no God, that's about the only thing we can do. But it's robbing us. It's robbing us of our minutes and our hours and our days. And the very thing we're trying to control, which is this life, is actually slipping through our fingers the tighter we try to hold on to it. So Jesus ends by giving us two options to an uncontrollable life. He says, the first option is you can seek first 
God's kingdom and his righteousness. And that that phrase, God's kingdom, we've talked about it before. It's simply this new reality that you and I live in as we follow Jesus, where God is actually at work making things right in our lives, in our families, and in this world. We can seek first God's kingdom, and all of these other things will be given to us as well. He will take care of our needs. So we do not have to worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. So two possibilities. And and he gives us the freedom to choose. It's like one of those old choose-your-own-adventure books. If you want to choose following God and walking away from worry, turn to page 26. If you'd like to worry, turn to page 57. Let's start with 26. The first option that you and I have is we can remember that as we follow Jesus, God is at work and he will work it out. I can tell you with 100% certainty that you will experience times of uncertainty. I can tell you, because I've lived long enough now to know that you will experience times of pain, times that hurt deeply, times where you do not know what to do. The reason why I can tell us that is because of what we talked about in week one. Jesus says that there is a soul sickness inside all of us that he calls sin. And sin is simply that thing in us individually and that thing in the world that causes us to do and say and think the very things that we wish we didn't do or say or think. And we talked about this in week one where I don't have to tell you what sin is because you lay in bed at night and you think to yourself, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I went there or looked at it or drank it or smoked it. I can't believe it. And I'm never going to do it again. That's you telling you that there's something in you that you don't like. But the problem is, a week later or a month later or a year later, you and I find ourselves looking at it, drinking it, smoking it, saying it, going there, clicking on it. We think, why? Well, it's because Jesus says that that sin thing is like a sickness inside of us. And when he invites us to follow us, he says he's like a doctor. And that in the following, he actually begins to heal us of that sickness. But the reason why I can tell us with certainty that uncertainty will come is because that sickness does not just affect me or a couple of us in this room. It affects the entire world. And God doesn't promise to pull us out of it, the pain of this world. What God promises is that your heavenly father knows what you're going to need in the moments when pain comes. And your heavenly father will give you exactly what you need to walk through the pain that he can comfort you and care for you and be there with you. And ultimately he will work things out. This guy named Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, picks up on this idea in a little letter called Philippians. And he says this, he says, you and I don't actually have to be anxious, insert worry. We don't have to be anxious about anything. But in every situation, we have the opportunity to talk to God, to pray with thanksgiving, with a reality that God's working in our lives. And we can actually present our request to God because God is like a perfect father who wants to hear from his kids. And then he gives us the promise. He says, in the peace of God, which man, if, if I could give you any present this Thanksgiving, it would be that. And the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, will actually guard our hearts and our minds from worry as we walk with Jesus. 
So God's saying the first opportunity is that you and I don't have to actually live with worry because God cares about us. He's watching us. He knows what we need, and he's working and will ultimately work it out, which is such good news because even the world around us is groaning under the effects of this sickness. But God sees it. He's not caught unaware, and he'll meet us. And here's the amazing thing about God, that oftentimes God works things out in this world, but ultimately God promises that he will work things out in eternity. That if he does not work it out perfectly here, if he does not step in and heal the cancer, if he does not step in and save the child, if he does not step in and stop the fire, if he does not ultimately do it here, he will make things right in eternity. We're actually told that in heaven, God himself wipes tears from our eyes, that he actually binds up our broken hearts, and he actually cares for us and loves us, and there's no more weeping, and there's no more pain because God is ultimately at work, and he will work it out either here or in eternity. Do you know what that means? That means that loved ones who we know here, who follow Jesus, will be reunited with them that day in eternity. And I don't know about you, but for me, that brings incredible hope. I've told many of you this story that in between our two beautiful kids who I love, who, by the way, just for a second, my wife and my two kids, first grade and fourth grade, ran a 5K yesterday, a turkey trot. I know, it gets better. Uh, No, no, I, I know, I know. Hold on, hold on. Now, I did not run a turkey trot. I got a driver's license, so I would never have to run a turkey trot. (laughs) But they decided to run a turkey trot. And Landon, our first grader, got first place for all of the first graders. There were three, but still. (laughs) For all of the first graders. Maddie got first place for all of the fourth graders. There were four, but still. And my wife, Maria, got first place for all adults. Killed it. Awesome. Yeah. And I did not want to steal the trophies from them, so I stayed back and I read a murder mystery novel and cheered them on at the finish line. In between our two incredible kids, we got pregnant, and, uh, and we were so excited. And we prayed every day for this baby. And in our first, our, our, with our first child and, our, our, and Landon, our second little guy, God actually did miracles for the pre- in the pregnancies and for them to be born. But in between... We had a miscarriage, and we, we, our baby, who we prayed for, was gone. And if you've ever experienced the loss of a child at any stage of life, you know that it's like something in your heart just kind of rips out. As we were driving to the hospital and praying, I remember just a sense from God of this peace that one day in eternity, I will see that child again. And there's something about that reality that lets me know that I do not need to worry about today because even in the worst of moments where there's very real grief, even now, I mean, even now, it brings up like, oh, my heart. But even in those worst moments, God is there. And if I could tell you anything, it's that worry will rob you of your life, of your days, but it will not control certain uncontrollable things. So Jesus says, why worry? Because God's at work and he'll work it out. He'll give you peace in this world that goes beyond understanding and he will make it right 
either in this world or in eternity. But if you don't choose that, go to page 54 for the second option of choose your own adventure, which is simply this. If you're going to worry, Jesus says, at least worry one day at a time. He's telling a little joke there. That's a little Jesus humor. Jesus is incredibly witty. And Jesus says, if you're going to worry, okay, but only worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Ultimately, you can't change today no matter how much you worry about it. But if you try to worry about tomorrow too, you will be crushed under the weight of the unknown. So don't. Don't do it. You don't need to. So what's the end game? The end game of walking with Jesus is knowing this, that you, right where you are, are infinitely valuable to your heavenly father. That he sees you. And today could be one of those days where you feel like you don't have a care in the world or today could be a day where you feel like the world is crashing in. And the incredible thing about God is that he will celebrate you when you're on top of the world and he will carry you when the world is crashing in. And he will meet your very real needs and he will heal our very real pain because he sees you and he loves you and you are infinitely valuable to him. So let me give us some questions to ponder as we go through this week. The first is, and I would encourage us, take some time this week to actually ask these questions, whether it's in our life groups or at home, as we grab a cup of coffee, because you know my firm belief, caffeine mixed with the Holy Spirit is an excellent one-two punch. So maybe you sit down with a cup of coffee and God and ask these questions and just write down the answer. What do I worry about most often? Man, what a great exercise. If we just stopped and asked that question, what is the thing that robs me most often of my time? What do I worry about? Just start to write it down. And then ask this question. What would I start doing if I were absolutely confident that God is actually with me right now? Is there something new? Is there a new career you might take? Is there a, is there a new adventure you might go on? Is there a, a risk that you've been pulling back from that you might say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of calculated risk to do that? What would I stop doing if I were absolutely confident that God was with me? Maybe I'd take the invisible leash off my kid a little further. Maybe I'd let them go eight feet away from me instead of two feet away from me. I I don't know. What would I stop doing if I knew that the end game of following God is that as I walk with God, God is personally present in every moment? It might not guarantee that we become fearless. But I guarantee it'll help you fear a little less. And that might be a great next step on this journey. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, thank you for this invitation to let go of this thing that ultimately is not gaining us anything. Thank you for the opportunity to walk with you and then to recognize that as we walk with you, we are of infinite value to a heavenly father who is big and vast and strong and powerful. 
and very personal and present and sees us in every moment and every fear and every anxiety. Thank you for the promise that God's at work in our lives and he will work it out either in this world or in eternity. And God, I believe that our end game is that one day we could be fearless, but in between, would you help us this week maybe just to fear a little less as we walk with you? We're thankful for this journey that you're taking us on. We enjoy this opportunity to follow. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.